How are you guys this morning? Great. It's good to see everybody. This is a, this is a special day in the life of Elevation Church. We, uh, we are going to celebrate at the end of this service something really unique. Um, it is our very first parent-child dedication, and we couldn't think of a better time to do parent-child dedication than uh, right here in the midst of a series on parenting and, and doing parenting in a biblical way. So I'm very, very excited to get to that. But before we get to the dedication stuff, and some of you grandparents are like chomping at the bit, I know that, I'll get there, I promise. But before we get there, I want to kick off this series of teaching about parenting and doing it biblically. And uh, I, I remember as I started thinking about doing this series several years ago, started really kind of uh, feeling God moving me towards doing something like this, it made me reflect back in my own life to the time when our first child was born. In fact, it really made me reflect back a few months before that when my wife told me that we were pregnant. And I say we, and I know wives, you carry the baby, but I promise you your husband carries some burden and all of that, so it's a we when you're pregnant. I'm just saying, okay? Uh, and I remember Trina sharing with me that there was going to be a baby in the Hamilton household. And I remember the emotions that overwhelmed me in that moment. And the first thing I remember feeling was all of this rush of joy and excitement. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. This is going to be incredible. And that was followed very closely by another set of emotions. You ever heard of somebody saying they have mixed emotions? I had mixed emotions in that moment. Joy and excitement and all that rush and thrill followed immediately by, uh, wait a minute. I'm going to be a dad, and this ain't, it's real. Oh, no, panic, fear, it struck me. And I remember the first thing I thought of coming out of that panic, fear part of the mixed emotions was, I haven't been around babies since I was one. I have a little sister, but she's adopted. She was like three and I was 11 when she came into the family. I didn't get the baby experience. I had little cousins that were born when I was a kid, but they lived in Nebraska. I like saw them for two weeks a summer when they were babies. I really didn't know anything about children or parenting. And I was freaked out. Fast forward eight, nine months, hospital room, delivery, I'm not even going to go into that. That's a whole different experience. Some of you dads, like my dad, they, the generation before us, they didn't let the dads in the delivery room. I'm okay with that, right? Our generation, if the dad's not in the delivery room, you're just not much of a dad. So you have to go in there. And then I told the doctor, I'm going to stay up here at this end, and you can do the business end. And the doctor grabbed me and drugged me. See, I told you I wasn't going to say all of this, and then I just did it. Dragged me down there and made me see all that was a whole new experience. And following that, I'm sitting there holding my six-pound bundle of joy, Lauren, our first daughter. We didn't know what we were having. Doctor said, it's a girl. And you could have knocked me over with a feather. We thought we were having a boy. But more important than that, more shocking than that, was the realization when she said, it's a girl, what I heard was, it's a parent. That gut check feeling was back. That thing I had experienced nine months earlier when, Lauren, when Trina told me we were pregnant, 
Now there's a physical body to prove the fact that I'm a parent. This is no doubt about it, the real deal. We are a mom and a dad. And I remember holding Lauren after, and, and look, I, I gained some confidence in those first like two minutes after the baby was born. Like I thought babies were fragile until I watched the L&D nurses. It was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters pass a basketball, man. It was unbelievable the things they will do with a newborn baby. So I had a little bit of confidence enough to hold the baby, right? And I'm holding Lauren, and I'm looking down in her little eyes that barely open every once in a while, and I'm like, how am I going to do this? And maybe some of you can identify with that. You look down at your child or your teenager and you think, how am I going to do this? What is a parent to do? And in, in that moment, looking into the little baby burrito, I love how they roll those things up, man. I became a pretty good baby burrito maker. I'm looking at my little baby burrito and a couple of words of wisdom, some phrases, some little nuggets that had been dropped on me somewhere in life came rushing into my head. I'm going to blame my dad for, a few, for at least one of these and maybe both. I don't know for sure. But one of the phrases I remember popping into my mind, somebody somewhere had said, kids don't come with an instruction manual. And I think as I looked at Lauren, I was thinking, maybe tattooed on the bottom of her feet. There's some kind of help here for what am I supposed to do when this happens or when that scenario plays out or we enter into this battle or, or whatever. No. Babies are not born with instruction manuals. They don't come with a set of instructions. And then the second nugget, the one I'm blaming my dad for, pretty sure I got this from him. He said, there are no parenting experts except for people without kids and grandparents. All right, all you grandparents, I'm a parent three times over. All right, got three girls. All you grandparents, you know you do it, right? You know you do it. You tell your kids how to raise their kids, which proves one of the points I'm going to make somewhere along the way in this series. Parenting is a never-ending job. You never stop parenting your children even when they're parents. Parents never stop parenting. It's a forever deal. It's not about 18 years and, and they're out. It's forever. But anyway, I'm sitting in the hospital realizing there's no instruction manual for my darling little baby. And I'm not an expert and have no hope of being an expert. My expertise in child rearing expired when she was born. I was suddenly one of those people with a baby instead of one of those people without. And I assure you, my older brother and his wife were very tickled when our baby was born and I was no longer a parenting expert to tell them how to raise my nieces and, or niece and nephews. So anyway, so I'm sitting in that chair in the hospital, realizing I'm not an expert, have no hope of becoming one, realizing there's no instruction manual, and I start thinking about what in the world am I going to do? What are my options? I need to know how to raise this baby. I need to know how to do the best by God to, to, to raise this little girl to be everything he wants her to be. And I started thinking about all the different things I had heard over the course of my life about parenting. Of course, you have your parents to look to. Great resource for parenting are your own parents in some cases. In some cases, maybe not. 
But you have your parents. But there's also lots of other places you can look for help on parenting. You ever been to Barnes & Noble? Like, the shelves in one section sag with the volumes of books that have been written on parenting and parenting protocols and procedures. And there's this whole group of experts out there that I call academic experts. Now, remember, my dad said there's no such thing as a parenting expert. But these people sometimes are self-proclaimed. Sometimes other people, you know, anoint them and appoint them as parenting experts. But they're these educated experts about parenting. And they write books about parenting. And they publish these books. And parents run out and buy the books because we all know we need help. But these parenting experts, these educated experts, they do all of their parenting advice based on a couple of simple things. The latest and greatest psychological discoveries or theories, right? They're all about whatever new psychoanalysis of kids is presenting. So they're all about the psychological data. They're all about the theories of the day. Something else my dad told me one time was that a man with experience should never be at the mercy of a man with a theory. Just saying. Psychological data, theories, and thought processes. These are educated experts, and they write volumes of books, and they publish these books, and we run out and buy the books because we need parenting help. That's one set of experts that you can run to. There's another set of experts I discovered very quickly, like still in the hospital watching TV. Oprah was on, like day two, new baby. I'm flipping channels. Hospital channels are pretty limited. Found Oprah, not a big fan, but it was noise. And lo and behold, she has a parenting expert on. Huh. So there's a whole group of parenting experts out there that are like pop culture parents. Right? They're these pop culture icons. Of, and, and maybe they're parenting experts. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But sometimes the pop culture parents, you're only following their parenting example because they're famous. You figure if they're rich and famous, then, then maybe what they're doing is right. And so we should follow these people. Maybe they're you know, doctors or whatever, or they're just actors and actresses. I mean, like Angelina Jolie and, and Brad, they have like 97 kids or something. They've adopted them from all over the world. Surely they must be great parents. So why don't we follow their example? I'm not saying they're bad parents. I don't know. I, haven't followed, I, don't, I have no idea what kind of parenting they do. I'm just using them as an example. So we, we, we look at parenting experts as the educated experts. We look at parenting experts sometimes as the pop culture people. Maybe it's the Oprah's and Dr. Phil's that you like to listen. I don't know. There's a lot of people you can turn to. And the media seems to like the subject of parenting because I think they know that a lot of parents struggle with raising up good kids. A lot of parents have questions about what to do. Uh, the Today Show has a doctor that comes on as their parenting expert. And she's kind of created her own little uh, pop culture identity herself as the parenting expert on, on NBC. I mean, there's, there's parenting experts everywhere. The options seemingly are endless. But there is an option that gets very little attention in the media and it's the obvious one when you're sitting in the church on Sunday morning. But when I was sitting in the hospital on a Thursday afternoon when Lauren was born, it wasn't the first thing I thought of, to be frank. I needed, like, immediate assistance. Who can help? What's going on? What am I going to do? But the Bible is filled with parenting protocols, parenting advice, parenting models that we can follow. I, I, I knew that but I didn't think of that. And I bet a lot of you know that, but when you have a parenting problem, you may not run first to the Bible. See, God's not silent on the subject of parenting because God, as Jim said a few minutes ago, is like the ultimate parent. 
Think about it. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Now, that includes me and you, right? The heavens, the earth, and everything in them. He created mankind. God created mankind in his own image and likeness, and he breathed life into people, every one of us. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before time began. He has a plan for us. So God, the creator, really is the ultimate parent. And he has set a parenting example over the course of human history that if we will just seek him, if we will look into what he has to say about it, we have a great example that we can follow. Because, frankly, his parenting perspective is pretty cool. It's pretty solid. In fact, when I look at his parenting perspective, I find that it differs a lot from the parenting perspective of the other experts. Experts. See, what I found with those parenting experts, whether they're doctors or, or, or pop culture or, or whatever, the parenting advice that they give clashes. So well, you got one group today saying do it this way. you got another group today saying do it that way. And, and, and the funny thing is, sometimes these groups, like the educated versus the they'll flip-flop from generation to generation. Sometimes they'll flip-flop within their own deal. You know, they, they, they change because you know why? The parenting advice that they're giving is, is created by people. It's, it's human thought process. And so it's flawed from the very beginning. It's flawed from the very beginning. If it's, if it's psychological, scientific, look, I'm not knocking any of that stuff. I, I took a lot of psychology classes in college because I got a kick out of it. And, and I think a lot of it's very applicable in our lives. I love learning about our brains and how they work. But you know what? Psychologists are not the end-all, be-all answers to all of your parenting questions. Neither are behavioral experts, medical doctors, or any of these other people who have a, a, a claim on the parenting protocol of the day. And so what we find is that parents in one generation raise their kids according to, to one set of standards, one parenting protocol. Then those kids grow up to become parents, and they don't want to raise their kids the way their parents raised them. So they pull a 180, and they do the opposite thing. And so you have this generational flip-flop going on whenever you go to the culture to get your parenting advice, your parenting process and protocol. And I, I look at what God says about parenting, considering him the, the ultimate parent, and, and God says that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He's, he's the same, same. For thousands and thousands of years, God's parenting advice has been here in his word, and it's never changed. So when I look at the Bible as a parenting resource versus the other parenting resources that are out there, I find that it offers some things that those don't, like sensibility. Stuff makes sense. And it continues to make sense. It doesn't create generational flip-flopping. This stuff is, is like things I can do, nuts and bolts, roll up your sleeves, let's go to work stuff. It's not theoretical, it's not ethereal, it's, it's like real and practical, sensible. It's also consistent. As I just said, it never changes. For thousands of years, it's, it's, it's never changed. And it's credible. It's credible. Now, some of you might challenge the, the, the point that the Bible is credible. There's a, a school of thought out there that it's a 2,000-year-old uh, document at, at its youngest part, and some parts are thousands of years older than that. And so, 
It's been translated by lots and lots of hands, lots and lots of minds, and, and it's been translated in different languages and different versions, and so therefore it must be flawed. Or maybe just the fact that it's so old makes it not credible. Well, I think that's a good place for us to, to really start this morning with diving into the Word and finding out what's going on here. Is the Bible credible? Can we trust God and what He says about parenting? Can we trust God? Can we trust his Bible. Is it relevant today, and is it accurate? Is it really unchanged? I think those are good questions, and they're questions that God's not afraid of. God's not afraid of us asking those questions. He's not offended by those questions, and if you will seek him earnestly and honestly, he will meet you and share with you his truth. And so today we're going to cover three main points to investigate this question and to kind of figure out and flesh out if we can rely on God for parenting advice. This is the foundational message for the rest of this series. The next three weeks really hinge on this. If you don't have this foundation, I'm not sure you'll be able to receive and really process fully everything else that we're going to cover over the next three weeks. So let's get these three points out on the table. The first point I want to talk about today is this. God is our Heavenly Father. God is our Heavenly Father. Again, the ultimate parent. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, God is referred to as Heavenly Father, that exact phrase, just in the NIV, the New International Version, that translation of the Bible, 18 times. 18 times God is referred to as Heavenly Father. The verses are up here. I can't read them all to you. We'd be here for hours, right? But you can write those down and check me if you want to. There's 18 times God is referred to as Heavenly Father. He's also called God the Father. There's another fatherly phrase, God the Father, another eight times in the NIV. So there's two dozen plus occurrences right there of God being referred to as our Heavenly Father or God the Father. Jesus called God his Father. He talked about his father's house. He talked about his father who sent him. He said, you know, he had a mission from his father. All of these things referring to, now we know that God was literally Jesus' biological, spiritual father. But Jesus also taught his disciples, his followers, that God was their father. When they asked him how to pray, Jesus answered them. He gave them what we today call the Lord's Prayer. And how does the Lord's Prayer start? If you know it, it says, our father. Our Father. God is our Father. He's our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father. He is the perfect, ultimate parent. Now, interestingly, God did not, or Jesus did not teach that God is just this heavenly Father, this, this God on high, the creator and master of the universe. He's not just this big God, this theoretical, ethereal God, this Lord on high. Jesus also referred to God in a very endearing term, a very uh, a near, close relationship. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And as he was in the garden and he began to pray, Jesus said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is a very intimate conversation Jesus is having with his father, and he calls him Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that means dad or daddy. 
This is not God, G-A-W-D. This is, this is not some, some up-on-high person who lords over and, and is in control of everything and is a distant deity. This is a person who has an intimate relationship. And God desires an intimate relationship with every one of his children. Every single one of us. He created us in his image and his likeness. He created us with purpose. He breathed life into you with, your, with his own mouth. God wants an intimate relationship with you, and he designed you to be in an intimate relationship with him. He designed you to have him as your daddy for you to be his child. He's very personal. He's very close. He's intimate. He's relational. And he invites you to draw close to him. God is your heavenly father. Point number two. God's parenting is perfect. God's parenting is perfect. Now, unlike your earthly parents, your heavenly parent, some of you are real careful, mom and dad are right there. But unlike your earthly parents, your heavenly parent is perfect. I have great parents. Some of you have great parents. My mom and dad raised three kids, did a great job, taught us morals and ethics, right and wrong, how to tie our shoes and ride our bikes, to do all the things that kids are supposed to do. They taught us how to have freedom and to live in a way that, that we could take care of ourselves. They taught us how to take care of them when they get old. Smart parents. Mom and dad did a great job. But even if you ask them, they'd say they weren't perfect. They're flawed. They could probably tell you a laundry list of things that they wish they would have done different. I can tell you a laundry list of things I wish they'd have done different. Most of them would not have benefited me so much in the long run as they would have in the short run, right? More candy, uh, less vegetables, uh, later curfews. Those would have been my laundry list. I bet they have a laundry list of things they wish they'd have done different that would have benefited my brother, my sister, and I in the long run. But parents aren't perfect, earthly parents. Even the good ones fall short and the bad ones. Some of you may not come from that really good parenting household. Some of you may come from some really troubled dysfunctional families. It's not an uncommon problem in our culture. It's actually a pretty prevalent thing to find dysfunction in the family, sometimes severe dysfunction. And, and parents, hear me on this. Your parenting makes a difference in the lives that your kids live. Think about your own parental example. If you came from a, a, a messed up parental situation, a dysfunctional house. Maybe your parents were, I don't know, abusive. Maybe they abused you in some way, emotional, physical, verbal, whatever. Maybe they just neglected you, didn't care for you, didn't give you love and attention, did not meet your needs, were not available. Maybe they were apathetic, which to me is about the worst thing that one human can do to another is to be apathetic. Look, I'd rather you hate me than be apathetic towards me. Apathetic just means I couldn't care less. You could come or go, live or die, whatever. No biggie to me, no sweat off my back. And there are apathetic parents. There's abusive parents. There's unavailable, unloving parents out there. Some of you may have grown up in their households. Here's what we have found over the course of history. There's really no debate over this. Generally speaking, 
those are patterns that repeat themselves from one generation to the next. Apathetic parenting, abusive parenting, it, it, it tends to repeat itself in the lives of your children. You do damage. Your kids can be scarred by the mistakes that you make. So it's important that your parenting model is right. Because if you're modeling your parenting after the parents that you have and their earthly parents and their imperfect parents, even the best parents are imperfect and the worst are, are, are dangerous. So if you're modeling after that, you're just repeating what has already occurred. The Bible calls it a generational curse. We just call it a pattern. I'm, I'm just pointing out what you probably already know. But doesn't it make sense then? if you're a parent or want to be a parent, that you should hitch your wagon, so to speak, to the very best parenting role model available. God is that perfect parent. He's, his perfection is pronounced throughout the Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. I love this verse. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He's the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Upright and just. His ways are perfect. Everything God does is right. His plan is right. His timing is right. It's good. They sang a song a few minutes ago that God can work through anything for your good. That's Romans 8.28. So even our worst mistakes, God can make perfect in his plan. He's got such a great plan for us, he can turn our errors into benefits. It's amazing stuff. God's way is perfect. God himself is perfect. 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. The Bible is flawless. God's word is flawless. His ways are perfect. And if we will come under his authority, his leadership, his parenting, God becomes a refuge for all who will do that. Talk about a parenting role model. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's perfection is pronounced all throughout the scriptures. 66 books of the Bible. His perfection is, is in every one of them. He's flawless. He's perfect. And he has a good, pleasing and perfect plan, His will for you, even as imperfect people. Even as an imperfect parent, God has a perfect plan for you. The Bible says that children are a gift from God. When I think about giving gifts, I always like to give a gift that means something, a gift that has real value doesn't have to be an expensive gift, but it has to be a gift that is valuable. If I don't value it, even if you do, there's a real good chance I'm not going to give you that gift. I want to give you something that I value, that I believe you will also value. And I believe when God gives us the gift of children, He is giving us something as parents that He, as the perfect parent, values 
immensely. He is blessing you with the stewardship of one of his children. He's blessing you with a life, a soul, someone that he created, that he has a purpose and a plan for, someone that he cares so much about that he sent his son to die for that person so they could have a relationship with him. Someone that he cares so much about that he literally formed them in his own image and breathed, as I've said a few times, life into them. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He loves every single person. And when he blesses you with the gift of a child, when you become a parent, he has given you something very, very valuable. And he has entrusted you with the protection and the preparation, the upbringing of that life. God's parenting is perfect. We will never be perfect parents, but our role model needs to be God's perfect parenting so that we can become the best parents that we can be for the beautiful gift that he has entrusted to each and every parent out there. Point number three. God's parenting principles are proven. His parenting principles are proven. I said earlier, thousands of years, this book has contained God's parenting principles. There has never been a book in the history of mankind that has been more scrutinized, more attacked, more torn apart in an attempt to discredit or dishonor than the Bible. That's just the truth. Now, I don't care if you're a Christian, not a Christian, wherever you are in life, that's not debatable. More people have tried to disprove this book than any other book out there. They've tried to to find things to disagree with or to to, uh, uh, just smear or whatever, And, and, and for thousands of years, it has stood the test. For thousands of years, it has stood the test. It stood the test of science. It stood the test of just trial and error. It stood all kinds of tests. And it remains the world bestseller for a reason. God's parenting principles are proven. The Bible is proven. And I think back to that day in the hospital, I'm holding Lauren, and I remember how ill-equipped I felt. And again, I don't know if any of you have ever felt ill-equipped. I have a, now Lauren is 10 Megan, our middle child, is about to turn nine, and Kinley, our youngest, is two. And quite frankly, I feel ill-equipped on a regular basis dealing with my children. But on that day, holding Lauren somewhere in that hospital stay, and I was sitting there feeling ill-equipped, wondering still, what am I going to do? Again, something came kind of back to me, um, something that had already occurred in my, in my past, came rushing back to me as an example. And, and, and I remember sitting there, holding her, feeling ill-equipped, and remembering when I started my ministry life, when I started my career in the ministry. I was hired into a role in a very large church to oversee a bunch of leaders who were twice my age and, frankly, more than twice uh, uh, my experience as a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 21 years old. I started my ministry, I think, at 29 So I'd been a Christian for about eight years. I'd grown a lot. God had done amazing stuff in my life in those eight years. But I was now leading people who were in their 60s and older, who were founders of the church, 
they were, uh, I was over the small groups ministry, the married small groups, and, and, and I just felt ill-equipped in my eight years of being a Christian. Some of these people have been Christians for 58 years, you know, and I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to teach or lead these guys? And I remember one couple in particular, sweet couple, still love have lunch with them, meet them, talk to them all the time, great couple. This guy came alongside me one day, literally put his arm around me, and we started walking, and, and Ken told me, he goes, look, I know what you must be feeling. I'm like, you do? I didn't say that, but I'm thinking, I wonder where he's going with this. Because I was feeling all kinds of stuff. I know what you must be feeling. You're wondering, you know, how you're going to lead this group. And I just want to tell you, as one of the leaders of this group, I want you to know, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. And if God called you to this ministry, he will equip you he has equipped you and will equip you along the way to do everything you have to do, include leading all of us old crusty people that have been here for a long time. I was like, really? Man, I put that nugget in my back pocket because that answered a lot of my questions. I don't have a seminary background. I, I, was, I was a Christian who went to church, who started leading and, and just you know, volunteer roles that the pastor recognized something in me and, and God called me to ministry and, and I, I went and told him and tried to talk him out of it. It's like, I don't think God really called me, but this is what I'm feeling. He goes, no, he did. And I was like, really? Can I dodge it? Is it like, can I cut up my draft card and move to Canada or something? And if you're old enough, you get that. If you're not, don't worry about it. And the bottom line is, about a year after that, I was already in the ministry and then I'm having this conversation with this guy with his arm around my shoulder telling me, don't worry. If God called you, God equips you. Parents, don't worry. If God has called you, if he's given you the gift of children, God equips you. He equips you. And I think that's why you're sitting here today. I don't think there's an accident out here. Not one of you is here by accident. Whether you came because we sent out a mailer in the mail, or because somebody invited you, or because you saw a sign on the street, or you thought you were going to the softball complex and just wound up in here for the free coffee and decided to hang out because the people were nice. Whatever brought you here today, it is not an accident. God brought you here to be equipped. To be equipped for parenting or grandparenting or whatever role you play. He brought you here to be equipped. And God has proven parenting principles. And he shares them with us in his word, the Bible, and in his body, the church. His proven parenting principles are contained right here in his word, the Bible. And they're shared through his body, the church. This is where you come to get equipped. You run to the Word, and you come to the church. You run to the Word, and you come to the church. And by the way, this is not the church. We talk about this all the time around here. This is Studio B. This is a building. It's a neat building. It's a building we have the privilege of renting and being able to meet in. You, you are the church. I'm the church. We together are the church. We won't meet in this building forever. We're going to blow the doors off of this place. Probably not in the distant future, probably pretty soon. And we'll move on to another building, and that building won't be the church either. We are the church. You go to the Bible, and you go to the church for God's proven, perfect parenting principles. The Bible is the solution to every challenge, every problem we face in life. It's all here, nuts and bolts stuff. And that's what we're going to spend the next three weeks going through. 
practical, nuts and bolts, roll up our sleeves, go to work, I can do this, parenting principles straight from the word. Next week, we're just going to get right down to business. Like I might wear my denim shirt next week and roll up my sleeves and put my leather work gloves on because I feel like we're going to work. We're going we're gonna to get the tools out and we're going to start turning the wrenches, digging holes, doing what we got to do to ratchet up our parenting because we're going to next week talk about practical parenting priorities. Practical parenting priorities so that we can put our family in the priority order that God has established. See, God's a God of order. He's a God of order, and he has an order for the family. He has parenting and family priorities that we need to put into place so that our family can be all that our family is designed by God to be. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Two weeks from now, we're going to tackle the discipline dilemma. Ouch. Yeah, the discipline dilemma. There's a lot of stuff in the news and a lot of stuff in the culture today about discipline. Should we, shouldn't we, how, when? We're going to go into that. We're going to find out what God has to say about discipline and promise you, God is not silent about discipline. He has a lot to say, like half maybe of the book of Proverbs is about discipline. Talk about why we discipline. There's something you don't hear a whole lot about. Not just how, but why do we discipline, when do we discipline, and how do we discipline. We're going to talk about that. The final week, three weeks from now, we're going to talk about the end goal of parenting. Prepping is what I like to call it. I'm not talking about prepping for the end of the world. A lot of you guys are like, I don't know, is there any preppers in the house so we know where to run if the world does end? Like you got a house full of like food and water all socked away, guns and ammo, all the stuff, right? Y'all watch the Discovery Channel TV show, prepping, you know, doomsday preppers, whatever. I love that show. It cracks me up, man. You know what? If the world ends... I'm not sure you can stockpile enough weapons or beans and rice. I'm just saying. But if you want to, man, please do. And that way we all know where to run if the world does end and we're left in it somehow, okay? Me, I got a different idea of prepping. And we're going to talk about that kind of prepping later this year. Because maybe you don't know it, but the Aztecs had this calendar. And on their calendar... Um, I think they just forgot to renew it, but like on December the 21st, 2012, apparently the world is supposed to end. I don't know, but we're going to talk about that and what God has to say about that later on this year, like in October, November. So stay tuned for that, but the prepping we're going to talk about three weeks from now is the end goal of parenting, and that is preparing your children for life on their own, for life as adults. Let's be real honest with ourselves. Not one of us is going to get out of this life alive. Right? Death rate hovers right around 100%, give or take. It's a pretty, pretty standard measure, right? 100%. None of us is going to live forever, and none of us knows how many beats or breaths we have in our heart or our lungs. We don't know. So you've got to prepare your children from, from when they're knee-high to tree-high, from when they're little bitty babies all the way up to, you know, I'm 39 years old and still call my dad for stuff sometimes. I guess he's still preparing me to live on my own without him. But we've got to prepare our children, and we have to prepare our marriages for that day when the nest becomes empty. And so that's what we're going to talk about on the final week. How do you prepare your children from, from down low to up high, from little bitty to grown, to live without you? Because you don't know how long you have. 
We have a pretty good idea of how long we want them to live at home. (laughs) But we don't know how long we have with them. Hmm. I'm kind of excited about those next three weeks. Bottom line is what we're going to talk about is applicable, doable, practical truth about parenting. We're going to go to work, sharpen up our skills. We may do a little bit of comparing to the current fads and trends in the parenting world. We may talk about, I don't know, attachment parenting and some of the big buzzwords that are in the media today. We may not. I don't know. We'll see how these messages come together as we prepare. I may have some fun with some of that. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. If you're an attachment parent, God bless you. Please be back here for the next three weeks. Um, bottom line is, those, those parenting things, they don't work. They're like fad diets. Yeah, you might lose 10 pounds in three days. But guess what? Three days later, you're probably going to have those 10 pounds back. Certainly by three weeks, most of us will return. And that's how the parenting principles work, too. They're fads and trends. They don't work because they're man-made. That makes them fallible. So it doesn't matter if you're a disciple of Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock, not the Vulcan, but there was really a Dr. Spock that wrote parenting books back in the 50s and 60s. Some of you were raised on Dr. Spock parenting principles. God bless you. I try to forgive you for that. Forgive your parents. Uh, maybe, again, you know, attachment parenting. Maybe you're an, an Oprahite. I don't know. I don't know who you're listening to, where you're getting your parenting cues. Bottom line is, they're not coming from here. And from here, they're fallible. They're, they're, they're conflicting. They're unreliable. And you probably ought to at least give us the three weeks. Give yourself the three weeks to check out what God has to say, what his timeless truths hold in the realm of parenting. My prayer is that each one of you, whether you're a single parent, traditional nuclear family with mom, dad, three kids, white picket fence, and a dog and a half, maybe you're adoptive parents, grandparents, godparents, aunt and uncle, teachers, wherever you are in that spectrum of having influence over children, teenagers, young adults. I pray that you'll be back to hear and to see and to test what God has to say because his parenting principles are perfect. His parenting principles are proven because he is our heavenly father and the ultimate parent and the only example we can really hitch our wagon to with confidence.